to me, one of the challenges on make, in making progress relative to animal welfare is bridging the gap from what we understand on the, in terms of the science, what, what makes sense from a scientific perspective, to what the expectations of and understanding by the, the broader public to uh, what we can get done on the farm relative to both the infrastructure on the farm and the willingness of farmers to adopt some of these changes. Bridging that gap or those two gaps or three gaps is the crux of this episode. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Beth Ventura, who is a teaching professor in specializing in animal welfare and behavior at the University of Manitoba. Have you ever started a conversation expecting it to go in, in a particular direction? And once you get into that conversation, it goes in a completely different direction. My original intent in, in talking to Beth was to talk to her about some recent work she did relative to public perceptions of particularly dairy producers and the understanding that as people understood some practices on some farms better, they became less enthusiastic in, in, in their perceptions of the industry. While Beth and I do talk about that a little bit, we spent more time talking about some of the challenges of crossing the bridge from here's what we know is the right thing to do to how do we get uh, different stakeholders, particularly producers, to adopt some of the changes that we understand to be best without sort of offending them without pushing them beyond areas that are comfortable, understanding that they believe they are doing some really uh, good things. So to me, this conversation epitomizes, frankly, one of the reasons I'm interested in the study of animal behavior, uh, in animal welfare. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about public and consumers. Beth spends a lot of time thinking about the animals particularly and studying the animals. And really one of the keys to making progress is understanding how uh, producers make these decisions. You'll, you'll perhaps remember this uh, as, a, as a theme uh, from my conversation with Dr. Ellen Goddard. And I think that this is a natural next step in that discussion. I really enjoyed this conversation and I expect you will too. Well, hello, Beth. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'd like to sort of start with where what you do. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about animal welfare and consumers' perceptions of animal welfare, but talk a little bit about what you do and where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I am currently an associate teaching professor of animal behavior and animal welfare at the University of Minnesota in the States. Uh, so just a few hours south of you, uh, many hours south of you, maybe. But anyway, yeah, so my role is uh, mainly yep. right now to, to develop and to teach undergraduate and sometimes graduate and veterinary student curriculum in the areas of animal behavior and animal welfare. Um, and then in addition to that, I do do research mainly in the field of animal welfare science. And so I pull a little bit from more of the applied ethology uh, disciplines, but 
increasingly, I'm also really borrowing from the social sciences to, to understand how we can work with humans a little bit more productively to achieve uh, those science-based uh, welfare improvements that we're all hoping to achieve. So you talk about you talked about the importance of understanding what animals feel and 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 what constitutes good welfare and bad welfare, but you've also added mm-hmm. this social science uh, element yes, to understand how to people it, yeah. think about it. Why do you think that that's important? I think that they're very complementary approaches, and and um, I when I started out, I did not start out using social science methods. I wasn't even really that aware of them uh, throughout my undergraduate and my master's work. I was focused more on applied animal work, and you know the, that that work remains extremely important, and I remain fascinated by it. I still do it, but I also started to become interested in asking new questions like okay once we maybe find a really good technique or a really good practice or a way to improve or mitigate you know some animal welfare situation what are we doing about it like how how can we get it implemented how can we address the barriers maybe that may exist to implementation and there's you know barriers uh, there's tons of different types of barriers that we could go into categorizing, um, but you know, most profound maybe in often in often situations uh, economic <laughs> barriers. But yeah. um, in addition to that, I started I started realizing like, okay, how do we how do we actually like incorporate these changes into into practice? And so often it's really impossible and realistically, I think also impractical to expect that we're, we should be able to do that without talking to the people on the ground and understanding what the barriers are for them, um, what their desired solutions are, how they, you know, interpret their work, how they um, navigate the challenges within so I think at a very basic level, it's a pragmatic decision on my part, but it's also evolved into this, I, like I'm really interested in the answers. I'm really interested what people think and, and why they make the decisions that they do and how we can maybe support them making decisions that we know from maybe, or we're starting to get a sense from you know the scientific applied sense is, okay, this could be a good thing, um, but how do we get it you know, put into practice? The other dimension to it is, of course, like something like animal welfare is an incredibly emotional topic. It's 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 a complex one and it's it's something that a lot of people care very strongly about. And that kind of situation sets you up for potential for a lot of conflict. Um, And so part of why I'm also interested in using that kind of social science approaches to understanding where people are at with regards to some of these topics is so that it could help hopefully help us navigate some of that complexity so that you know different stakeholders can maybe work together more productively and deal with each other even across maybe vast differences so that's so that's interesting because I, I want to sort of get to that consumer side, the perceptions of welfare mm-hmm. and our understanding of welfare. But but I hadn't yeah. thought as much, although I should have, about some of those uh, some of the hesitation we might have at the farm level. My one of my recent conversations for the podcast 
uh, was with an ag economist, Dr. Ellen Goddard, and she talked about we have to understand farmers better in order yeah, for us to really understand how we can get policy implemented. And 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 what you're saying, and yeah. it's a perfect connection, is that's critical from a welfare perspective too. It's not just about knowing what's best for the animal. It's about finding ways to get animal care changes implemented. 100%. Yeah, I would agree with that uh, 100%. And it's also it's also important for farmer welfare. Like, so it's not, it's an animal welfare thing, but it's also a farmer welfare thing. Cause if we're, if we're ignoring these, like this critical group and we're not talking to them and we're not listening to them, I, I don't know what we're doing. Like, I, I think it, it can, we can run into a lot of problems. And so, yeah, I would very much prefer to, to have that open line of communication and that path to engagement with this group, because ignoring, ignoring this group is just going to, be a, a terrible idea. <laughs> I would yeah. say. So, so in, in your experience then, what are some of the, some of the concern? Is it, is it people perceive us as mistreating animals or people, you know, what, what are, what are some of the issues with producers? Because the truth is they care very strongly. They, they, they care a lot mm-hmm. about their animals. And, and yeah. so some of these, some of these people pointing fingers makes them uncomfortable, I think. Yeah, I mean, I th- and I think that I, if I was a farmer um, and I was seeing a lot of critique of of different practices, I think that would be really hard for me to swallow as well. Um, and that makes sense, of course, because you know, and for a lot of folks, I can't speak for the f- like the farming community because I'm not a, technically yeah. a part of it. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm adjacent to it, but a lot of for a lot of folks, like farming is also identity. And so if you're, if you're critiquing a practice um, that is involved in someone's identity, of course, someone's going to feel defensive and attacked. And, and over time, potentially, that could create like a really unhealthy, you know, situation for mental health. Um, so I'm, I'm really sympathetic to that. You know, it is hard on 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 mental health. And, it, and as you say, yeah. farming is very much about identity and if people are questioning the way you're doing things then then it can be stressful do you see sometimes some resistance to change amongst the amongst farmers amongst the farm farm community yeah i think it very much it's hard to it's hard for me to make generalizations because yeah, just because someone <laughs> No, 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 that's okay because I yeah. I, I I also do that <laughs> in a lot like yeah. a lot of what I'm saying. Um I mean I what a, I study, you know, groups of the public, groups of farmers, groups of veterinarians. And of course, like, so I, I, in shorthand will refer to them as like veterinarians, but it's, you know, not all veterinarians or whatever, but we we've talked recently, um, to advisors, like farm advisors for, for some other research that we've done recently, um, especially veterinarians, but also hoof trimmers. And what's really interesting when you listen to those folks who are advising farmers on a pretty near regular basis one of their one of their concerns often comes down to i am concerned that the farmer is resistant to 
maybe some of my recommendations when it comes to animal care. And I don't know how to approach that with them. I don't know how to communicate um, well with them because I'm caught with this, you know, I'm, I'm really sympathetic to what the farmer is going through and I, I have their back. But at the same time, how do I communicate, hey, you know, maybe we should take another look at our lameness plan, you know, without like, so struggling how to navigate that is I think a big struggle for, for at least veterinarians and hoof trimmers that we've um, interviewed um, lately. And so I hear from advisors that it can amongst a certain portion of the farmers that they work with, it can be a challenge. You know, they understand how much of identity is tied up with that farmer. And it's important that they have an ongoing relationship. Uh, Another of my recent conversations was with a dairy vet who talked about some of those conversations and some of those challenges. And And I hadn't thought about how that can create stress as you... You know, nobody likes to be criticized, and and so no. <laughs> if you're saying what might we, what might we do differently? Sometimes that is perceived as you're doing something wrong, uh, and so yeah. yeah, it's so it's interesting uh, to 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 really think about if our interest is in prov- improving the welfare of animals, we not only have to understand what will improve the welfare of the animals, but we have to understand the decision-making process at the farm and with those advisors so that we actually implement some of these changes. Yeah, exactly. And it's a, and it's a really complex web to navigate, right? So that's, I think some of the other challenge that comes with this type of work is, is realizing that sometimes it's, you know, and a lot of science, a lot of science, uh, you know, wants to be like super generalizable so that like we can, classify or put, you know, a label on, okay, all farms or all farms in this region or all veterinarians over here. But the reality is that I think so much of this work is really contextualized. Uh, and so what may work for one farm doesn't work for the farm down the road. And, and even within a farm, you know, what may work for one set of employees may not work as well for, for another. And, and I think that adds the, that extra layer of okay, what do we, what do we do from here? But I I do, the more I do this work, the more I really value the, the talking and the listening, (laughs) mostly the listening, (laughs) letting the other first other folks talk so that we can understand where they are at. That, that, that's so fascinating. And I hadn't, I hadn't really, it's, it's bad because I'm a behavior guy, uh, but I hadn't really thought about that sort of barrier to to progress and so that's that's really interesting but but you raised another interesting point which is this sort of talking and listening and and a group we referred to earlier mm-hmm. but but haven't gotten into in a whole lot of detail is the consumer who is increasingly yeah. playing a role in in determining what best practice from a welfare perspective is i mm-hmm. i would argue that that they're doing, they're being led along to a degree because consumers don't have a really good understanding of welfare, or frankly, a good understanding of how food is produced at all. And I'd, I'd be interested in your perspective on that. But mm-hmm. but un- understanding and listening to where consumers are, rather than trying to beat the science beat into in. them, is also critical. <laughs> is also critically important. Hmm. 
Yeah. The, so the, the public is a tricky thing, I think. Um, and I think, so I actually, I don't do a lot of like consumer specific work. I, I do mm-hmm. study the public, but I, um, I envision like, and I, I think of the public a little bit broad, more broadly than cons- ju- their consumer role. Yes. A hundred percent. Their, the consumer role that they hold is incredibly important and very impactful. Like and you can, we can see how that is impactful, um, both because of what they are choosing to buy and what they are choosing to avoid buying, uh, as well as how their beliefs and their desires are perceived by, you know, supermarket chains and and com- food companies, because that will then maybe drive some of the decision making higher up in the supply chain. But separately from that, we're also um, aware of how important the public is in this conversation, even if they don't consume these animal products, because even if they don't consume animal products, they are they still have a voice. Um, because they, you know, especially so down in the states, you know, every year that we're voting, there's usually a handful of states that have some ballot um, and some proposition on the ba- excuse me, some proposition on the ballot to say something about, you know, tail docking of dairy cattle or traditional cages for laying hens or just station stalls for sows or so on and so forth. A lot of it's focused on like housing issues, um, but. Yeah. So like folks still have a voice in the public and 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 can very powerfully influence uh, what farming may look like. So that I think I like to think of the public as kind of as citizen and as consumer. It also I think yeah. helps remind us that all of us are also the public and most of us are also consumer, if not all, and of course all of us are citizens. So when it comes to how we approach this gulf that we have um, and that we see. I think first, it's, I, I agree with you, like it's absolutely important to wrap our minds around like just how, how we're often occupying like a completely different world than they are um, if they are not engaged in agriculture. If they're not engaged in agriculture, there's a like, there is a decent likelihood that they may not know a whole lot of what we're doing on a daily basis. Um, increasingly though, I think folks are starting to glean a little bit about maybe common or typical practice on farms. Although we don't have as much research on this as I would like. (laughs) And so I, I am interested in more people doing this kind of work so that we can start to kind of more clearly map out what people know and what they don't what they have uh, misconceptions about uh, and like full absolute, like this is way out of left field, like under no circumstances would that happen or it doesn't happen. But then at the same time, there's also, there's a, there's, there's, we're also maybe confronting a deal of ignorance or like a, a type of ignorance where it may benefit the industries that, the public maybe doesn't know about certain things. And that's where I think it gets tricky because sometimes ignorance can be really problematic for the industries, but other times it's maybe beneficial. And I hear these, it's not just my opinion saying that, like 
we I hear I'm analyzing really old focus groups. <laughs> I have to get I have to like yeah. kick my butt in here and actually write this paper up. But I'm analyzing some focus groups right now, speaking to primarily veterinarians that are in the livestock industry that work in the livestock industries and ask them these questions like what do you think about the public and what do you think their role is? What do you think they know? What do you think they don't know? And a lot of what they're bringing out is like, look, yeah, they've got a lot of like misconceptions and this is really frustrating for us. But they're also like, in some respects, not aware of a lot of the things that I think if they were aware, we'd have even more problems. Like, oh, the fact that we're, you know, at a lameness summit right now. Most folks probably yeah. don't know that, you know, lameness on a dairy farm is a challenge for a lot of dairy farms. Cow-calf separation, like that's a... Very yeah. uncomfortable talk, but for people to want to talk about and putting aside like the complexity with the science, depending on what you measure, like I I would guess that like the next ad that the, the, you know, California milk or Wisconsin milk puts out is not, Hey guys, guess what? We like pull the calf from the, from the cow. And that's the way that we do it. And there are good reasons for why we do it, but yeah, that's not going to, you know, be the heading of the the new advertisement campaign. Um, so I think that's also no, but, something but, for but, us to have to navigate as well. No, go ahead. Yeah, I think no, I think you're, you're I think good. you're exactly right. And 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 you know there is this sort of cognitive dissonance with with consumers. Mm -hmm. You know, with with mm -hmm. with livestock products. You know, they 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 understand that there might be something that they're not comfortable with. Uh, but they, 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 you know, there's some willful ignorance on some elements of this, right? Nobody wants to sort yeah. of think about the slaughterhouse 100%. As, as an example. And, yep. and, but, yeah. but by the same token, and, and I hear this all the time from agricultural groups to say, well, mm -hmm. if only we could get them to understand, we have to build trust. Uh, yeah. And and we we walk this delicate balance. Maybe there's some stuff that they don't want to know about, and and if they find out about it, they won't be as yeah. happy. But the truth is, those conversations mm -hmm. are going to be happening anyway. There are people who are going to raise. You know, agriculture yes. didn't raise gestation crates, and 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 agriculture didn't raise battery cages. Someone else did, and then the public. And I like that distinction you made sort of said, wait a minute, you're doing that. Mm -hmm. We thought, yeah. you know, we didn't know. And so we have to sort of strike that balance. And I think it gets back to the, the point you made about listening as, mu as much as talking, because at some points mm -hmm. we may do things that even the science says is okay or is positive from mm -hmm. a welfare perspective. But if, mm -hmm. but if the public's not happy with it, then that consumer mm -hmm. element comes in. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think also there's, there's, the, I mean, in some, in some situations it puts us in a really uncomfortable tension, but I think there are also by the same token, a lot of situations where it can be win, win, win. So like, for example, um, one practice in the dairy industries often will disbud, you know, the young calf or the young dairy goat. Um, and the procedure itself, we know we have a ton of science to suggest that the procedure is painful to the calf or the goat or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And we also know that just, but, but, and we also know that if you don't disbud, um, you may be facing more severe situations from a welfare standpoint later on. If the horns are intact and the cattle are in, you know, a free soil environment, maybe, maybe that, 
maybe there's concerns of, you know, risks to cattle safety or risks to human and handler safety. So you're you're in this maybe position of trading, you know, a short-term welfare cost for a hoped-for longer-term welfare win. But at so in and now you're like, oh my God, how do I reconcile this with the fact that the public doesn't like Disputing. So we don't have tons of yep. research on, on this particular topic, but we have a little. And what we do know is there are ways to refine the procedure. Uh, so, for example, comprehensive pain relief um, and mitigation yep. for for this procedure. And we know that this maybe this is a compromise until we figure out fully how to introduce pulled genetics into dairy herds. Um maybe in the meantime, one thing we can do that kind of is a win for cows is comprehensive pain relief, we need to bet maybe better figure out how to support farmers and veterinarians in delivering this and addressing whatever barriers they're facing. But then this is also a win for the public. The public supports, okay, if you are going to do it, you need to be using pain relief. So hopefully there are examples of win, win, win. And some of it is low hanging fruit. Others, others are going to be a whole hot mess to, to address maybe, but I kind of well, sometimes, and, and maybe I, it's just because I'm lazy. I like to focus on the stuff we can win first. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think there's some, I think there's some, there's some value in getting at that low hanging fruit as well, because it, yeah. it shows that you can, you can have a conversation and make progress and, and exactly. that can build confidence in the process. Yeah. But I, I but I do 100%. think there, I do think there remain some, some issues, some practices mm-hmm that that consumers might you know with all of the efforts we make to quote unquote build trust consumers might look mm-hmm. at us and say no we're just not comfortable with that and at that stage mm-hmm. we have to decide what we're willing to how you know whether we're going to lose them as a consumer or mm-hmm. lose some license to do it if it's the broader public. I mean, clearly there is an element of yeah. the public who doesn't think we should have animal agriculture at all. And and what we're yeah. doing is sort of managing how big a group that is. Uh, but if yeah. that group got bigger because people weren't uncomfortable, there are some, there are going to be some challenging conversations coming. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of those conversations are happening and they have been happening from like an incredibly pragmatic state. Like, like I am interested in understanding like what people's objections are. Um, I am also interested in understanding, okay, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Hey, we don't need to change anything about food production. Like there are a lot of things that we need to change about food production. And I think it's disingenuous if folks get so defensive that they can't be like, yeah, okay. We do like, it doesn't mean we're not trying and working and doing an amazing job right now. But when it comes to something like this that has so many impacts and is so like knitted into like the course of how human society runs and exists, I think it's it is hard to do so. But it's also really important if any everyone who is involved in this process can be like, what can we do better? Um, yeah. And whether that's something that whether that is a conversation that is or is not motivated by what the public is asking. I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm less concerned about that. I, I wish that we can just have these conversations anyway um, and and say, okay, like where can we actually identify where we can improve um, and, and what's possible to do now, what's possible to do in five years from now and 10 years from now, et cetera. 
um, and supporting people to, to make those changes. Um, and I guess I'm interested ultimately in the public, both because I think it's just key, like interesting. <laughs> like I just like I'm nosy. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's just really interesting to find out what people think. Um, but it's also I, I guess I got involved in this question initially, uh, like social science initially, because I came into my PhD and I was like, man, how do we like create change like by, you know, empowering consumers to, you know, support like really welfare friendly practices and like farmers who are really pushing this and like make sure that like those guys have markets and da 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 da. Um, like, how do we tell people like how to believe like I do, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And then I, when I started getting into that, I was like, whoa, I can't do that. It's not going to work. Like as soon I started reading, I started like doing the research and I was like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for me to like change someone's mind about farming or animal welfare or anything by me telling, going in and telling them, look, here's what is going on. Here's why I think it's cool and important. And here's all the evidence to back up my position. Now you need to change your mind. It doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, it's, 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 ent it's entirely true. So we need to understand, uh, and, and get a sense of, and, and eventually, eventually there's going to be compromise on both sides. There, there'll be some things exactly. that we agree to disagree on. Uh, there'll be some mm -hmm. people who produce for some markets and some people who do a better job and have a, have a different market and maybe get a premium in that mm -hmm. market. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and there'll be some people who choose to say, well, no, I'm not comfortable with that process. I'm just not going to consume at all anymore. Uh, yeah. All of those yeah. things are potential eventualities, but I, I, I think to me, the critical thing is to be having that conversation and a con a 100%. student once told me, a student once told me, and I don't know, I honestly don't know if she ripped this quote off from someone or if she came <laughs> up with it herself, but she said, a conversation can't be two monologues. And yeah. that's very much what we, that's very much what we have right now is we're trying to talk people mm -hmm. into what we're doing is fine. People are saying back, no, I'm not comfortable with that. And and some of those things that they're not comfortable with may have nothing to do with science, right? Is And and so we have to have those conversations and there's going to be give and take on both sides. But it's to, to me, it's really, it's really heartening to hear people like you who are doing the welfare science also thinking about farmers and veterinarians and the broader public to say, if we want to really make change relative to welfare, we have to think about all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, you said you've made a hundred very nice, nice points there. Um, first and most recently, it's, it's definitely not people just like me that like, there are tons of people that are doing this type of work. Um, so I encourage you to like, really get in there if you want, because there's, there's a lot of people, yeah. you, you, you highlighted something, I think that's not just critical to capturing this conversation about welfare and farming, but realistically, like ever so much of what's going on that we're seeing 
in society right now, especially, I mean, realistically, globally. Um, but, you know, we're seeing it, especially in Canada, and we're seeing it, especially in the U.S., the, the US um, you know, conversations about, you know, what side of the political spectrum are you on? Or how do you, how are you navigating COVID? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it, it's a lot of people feel very strongly about um, what side they are on with regards to that. I, I, you know, I'll stick with the science communication for a minute, because like, if you're, if you're tasked, you know, with like, okay, we got this good science about, you know, climate change or, you know, vaccines or whatever it is. Um, and we know that this stuff is going to happen and you need to come and drink from this cup of knowledge that we have, right? Please drink from this cup of knowledge. <laughs> Please, God, drink. Um, and then a certain portion of people don't want to drink. And they say, no, thank you. That cup is poisonous. Um, continue. That's a real challenge. Like, like, and I think there, the, the, the scope of um, experts and expertise in the science communication field, which is adjacent to, like, the scientists themselves, sometimes the scientists themselves excuse me, sometimes the scientists themselves are also really excellent science communicators, but it's not always the case necessarily. And it's not a, no. it's not a, a, a knock or a disparagement against them. It's just, I, I wasn't necessarily trained in any of that um, throughout the course of my graduate work. And um, because it's a specialized thing and it's a specialized set of expertise. And I would love to have more synergy between the scientists science, like that are doing the thing and the folks who understand, okay, how do we broach that communication gap? How do we do it effectively? Um, because so often for something like welfare, we'll come back to welfare now um, and farm animal yeah. welfare. Welfare is a hard thing to broach the gap on in part because Yes, people's opinions and concerns about welfare come down in part to what they know about it and what they don't know about it. And that knowledge will absolutely influence where, where they believe and what they believe. But it's not the only thing mm -hmm. that influences that. We have to account no. for values and what people actually weigh as important in a given set of knowledge. And at the end of the day, people do not necessarily weigh these things the same. And this is, I think, where we get so much of the conflict and argument of what is humane or not on a farm, for example, because we do know from some of the past literature of different scientists all over the world who've talked to farmers, who've talked to veterinarians. Historically, a lot of the emphasis on welfare has been to focus on, okay, well, how is the animal's body doing? Is the animal yeah. physically healthy? Are we doing a good job with nutrition? Are we doing a good job with biosecurity um, and shelter and making sure that the animals are fed and watered well and are free from disease and free from injury? And that is, of course, a, a hugely important component of welfare. I'm not going to, of course it is. Um, and folks who focus on that are absolutely right to focus on those things. But it's not the only thing that makes up welfare and it influences welfare. Um, oftentimes someone who is maybe concerned about 
animal agriculture. Maybe a lot of their concerns uh, on the welfare side have, have to do with how natural it is or is perceived to not be. So if the animals aren't having outdoor access, if the animals aren't necessarily in a social structure that they would have evolved to be in, or they're not weaned on a natural kind of schedule or whatever it may be. Those concerns, they're not, those aren't wrong concerns. Those do also have an influence on welfare. But if you're, if you've got someone that's focused on the natural stuff and you've got someone who's primarily focused on the health stuff and then they're, and they're just talking about how important each of these are, they're probably not on the same wavelength. And it's not that yeah, one is right. And that and can even wrong. happen within the science community. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And if so, we can't always agree in the science community, then, then it's no surprise that there'll be differences of values and differences of expectations compounded by differences of, uh, of understanding or knowledge. Exactly. Uh, in yeah. those conversations. And, 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 it, and we exactly. have to understand that they're not going to be easy. No, exactly. And, and that's for the, that difference in knowledge is compounded by expert uh, experience and expertises, but those in turn, um, you know, I haven't confirmed this empirically, but those can, those, those also are bound up in things like how you were brought up and where you were brought up and were you brought up in a rural environment or an urban environment and what was the religion yeah. of your family and what was the, you know, what was your community like? Um, what kind of classes did you take in undergraduate if you happened to go to, to do your bachelor's? Like what, yeah. what were the values of your professors that were, you know, subtly communicated to you throughout the course of your education? Um, all of that, you know, binds together to make people's assessments of these things extremely diverse. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, th I think I know, I know you're not the only one and I, and I'm not the only one asking these questions, but I think I'm optimistic that, that doing this interdisciplinary stuff where, we're, where we think mm -hmm. not only about the science of welfare, but the, the role that different stakeholders have to play uh, mm -hmm. We'll we'll continue to get to to make progress. I'm optimistic about the process. Are you? Yeah, yeah, I, I am too. And and I think that part of what it, this is being engaged in this type of work. It's also given like the more I learn about where others are at, like the more empathy that like it's has been instilled in me. Honestly, like I'm a lot more empathetic to a much wider range of folks, I think, than I than I was when I started off doing this type of work because I was, you know, young and naive and stubborn in my, you know, I'm still <laughs> not, not necessarily young, but I'm still a little bit naive and stubborn, I would say. But this type of work has, has allowed me to, to, yeah, get, get a little bit um, more empathy for, for a lot of folks and what they're, what they're dealing with, what they're living through which I think is good. So I encourage, um, I sent you that chapter that we, that we recently yeah. published and I really encourage all of us who are in this type of work to, to get, to dig into some of that like literature on like values and attitudes of different folks. Cause it, it really, I think it's, it's very powerful. Yeah. Whether it's farm animal welfare or, 
uh, or any of a number of issues that you highlighted that are going on yeah. in the world today, a little a little bit of empathy can go a long way, I think, in making everything yeah. better. Bringing it back to what I do now, I do a lot of, you know, I'm working with a lot of students in the classroom. And, and I, when I started this, I, I started figuring out how to like build in lessons plans for my students to, to not only learn the science of welfare, the science of behavior, but also that kind of, um, okay, and how do we work with people with these issues? Um, and I, I find it, I, I'm very heartened by students coming out now. Um, and I'm, if I think the future is bright, especially working with a lot of these types of students, they're, they're really um, open to learning these types of skills. That's great. I think that's an, an excellent place to end. Uh, yeah. And so thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Beth. I've really enjoyed the conversation and I expect I'm going to be hitting you up for another one because I think you and I could chat for hours. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. You are super fun to chat to and a wonderful podcast host. <laughs> that wraps up another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We very much appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you just discovered Food Focus, you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. It helps others find us. Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Zach, for his hard work in making each episode sound good and for his original music that helps us transition. He does the hard work and we get to have all of the fun. Thanks. Have a great day.